By the time I was 13, when my mother bought me an electric guitar for my birthday, knee and music was a one of a kind for the rest of my life on up. By then, I was already doing almost every drug you could possibly get a hold of. And uh, that led me into different institutions that I had to serve time in, going in and out of juvenile hall and camp and YA, which led to the prisons. But the good news is I was able to bring my guitar with me, and I was able to continue practicing. I found other bandmates and, and put bands together and all that kind of stuff, and I carried on from there. I learned a lot of music and a lot of songs and everything while I was doing time. But eventually, when my daughter found me, and I realized that how talented she was as a musician, I decided to put something together with her. We went to the recording studio and hired a band and man, it was fantastic, it was awesome from there. And I'm really excited to share this with people. Don was a creative survivor. He was a person who started from very little and had the combination of street smarts and savant sentiments to survive in this world. So every approach that he had as an individual, as independent as he was throughout his life, was very unique. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and my guest today is singer-songwriter Jenny Alpert, also known as Cammy. You may recall Jenny took on her birth name, Cammy, and went undercover to locate her birth father, Don, who was hiding from the law, using drugs, and living outdoors. Jenny used the tools in her belt to become Don's advocate and introduced him to alternatives to living in the streets. They bonded over their shared musical abilities and began performing together. Don is no longer with us, but Jenny is honoring her birth father, making her life's purpose the upliftment of others as part of Don's legacy. This is an update on Jenny's journey. Jenny was adopted out of the foster care system when she was four years old. She was introduced to music at a young age in foster care, and her adoptive parents cultivated her musical capability in their home. Jenny credits the nurturing she got in her forever home with letting her explore her musical prowess, which led to self-expression that she says allowed her to grow in this world. Along her search, she discovered her birth mother was deceased, but Jenny was still able to meet her maternal family. Jenny's birth name was Cameron, or Cammy for short. When she took to the streets to search for her birth father, Jenny used her birth nickname, Cammy to protect her true identity for her safety. Jenny went into the streets to find out if her birth father was still alive. To have this preparation with what I call the belt of tools and that belt of tools and experience really guided me for what was to come later which is how you and I met when you asked me to come a couple years ago to share the details of meeting my birth father who at the time was homeless an addict, running from the law, having lived a life born into poverty and raised from very little, choosing a life of drugs to feel better and homelessness for fresh air and freedom, and sometimes even going in and out of the prison system for a bed and for, for a rest. He was in the system really from, like I think, from age nine, starting with juvenile hall all the way through, just because of the lifestyle that he was exposed to and choosing to live for, for what, what ways he was to survive. But what was really special, something that I didn't know, but I really felt intuitively about, is that when I did finally meet him years later, I also discovered not just that he was homeless and running from the law and kind of at the very end of his life in that moment, 
but he was also a musician and a savant and extraordinarily brilliant in his unique way. And that was really inspiring and amazing. And the second that we met with the help of a private investigator, sort of finding and following his social security number and all these different things, I had a lot of experience up until that point, having learned music through high school and they helped me with lessons and they helped nurture me. And then it was really my mom that helped get me you know, applying to colleges. And at this time, I was in UCLA as the first jazz vocalist to be accepted to Kenny Burrell's ethnomusicology jazz program, which I was so shocked to even be a part of. I really wasn't an intellectual in my mind, so I didn't expect that. But all of those things, plus once I got to UCLA, I was also tutoring and learning to become a shadow for those who identified on the autistic spectrum or the mental wellness spectrum or with learning challenges. That was a side gig that I was working on learning how to do. Plus I was volunteering in the field, like those experiencing homelessness, those incarcerated foster care youth. I was developing programs for inner city kids and and like music teaching music so there was like all these things happening at once where i i call them looking back now like i was developing a belt of tools while learning music the craft of music the craft of guitar the craft of piano the craft of songwriting the craft of vocals struggling to remember like songs that other people wrote (laughs) so i ended up becoming like an independent touring recording singer songwriter myself um all of these life steps, these moments in my life really ended up guiding me in a way to be prepared for the moment that one day I get a call from my mom, Jill, and she said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your birth mother has passed away. Um, and I, I feel badly you never had a chance to meet her, you know, and, 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 you know, she had such an interesting life and she passed away on the sidewalk, like her heart gave out. And she was 56, and, and I never had a chance to meet her. And, and that was sort of the beginning of getting this, this packet of paperwork that had been drafted through the legal system most all of my life, paralleling what was happening for me, surviving through this, you know, nurture while nature was trailing behind me. And all of a sudden, now I get this packet of paper, and it basically was an invitation to learn who am I really? where do I come from? And it was the pivotal moment years, a few years later that I decided when I was struggling with trying to have intimate relationships myself, building a family of my own, figuring out, you know, who who am I? Like, what's my identity? Where, Where do I come from? Never having harbored any negative feelings about having been adopted and never really identifying as a victim of adoption or foster care, rather I just felt this emptiness, this sort of loss, this confusion, a huge element of disassociation um, in my life, trying to kind of piece together all of these parts. And now, you know, I have this opportunity to fill in the gaps and to figure out who invented me. And I like to use that word invented me and where do I come from? And that was sort of the beginning of you know, me going out into the world and seeking out living birth family relatives. And though Don, my birth father, had seven minutes of me in his arms at age 17 for the DNA test when the police took him into this hospital hallway to to see that he created this daughter, he knew I existed. But then he was just carted right back off to youth authority and, and jail, never really having any focus of becoming a parent or you know a father or anything like that but knowing that this had happened and everything nearly 30 years later with the help of a private investigator jenny was able to follow don's social security number along the trail of his life once she figured out don was still alive she went undercover into the streets using her birth name cammy out in the field jenny did some reconnaissance to learn more about don who was homeless and still using illicit drugs In July 2016, one of Jenny's paternal relatives took her to the dilapidated dwelling where Don was staying to meet him for the first time. Here I was, 
Cammy being walked into the alleyway area and sat down on this little crate and I was introduced and, and all of a sudden it was like, here you are, this is your birth father, Don, this is Don, he, he's alive, there he is. And he just, you know, gets up in his, and he was still kind of wasted from the night before and he had these broken glasses on. He was like sleeping in this little alleyway area with, you know, broken tent and all these other things. And he sits up and he puts his glasses on all crooked and looks at me and he goes, God damn, you're beautiful. <laughs> and like, it was it was amazing. It was like electric. And we were, we were just so, you know, fortunate. And I know that our story, that people can go back to the safe space that's Don's place, which is like, I think it was your episode 96 or something that you so generously invited me to share, you know, a couple of years ago at the very, kind of at the height of our biological reunion adventures, I would call them, which we didn't expect to happen or plan at the moment that we met. It just so happened that we had such an electrifying, like, connection that drew us together. And the fact that shortly thereafter, I discovered Don was a musician. He was a savant. Mm. He was a survivor. He was brilliant. He was self-taught. He was a chess player. And he was a mathematician. And he was a creative person himself surviving in his unique sort of savant spectrum way. And in the moment that we saw each other, I think that, you know, we mirrored to each other the desire and starvation for love, intimacy, and connection. And yet also for our creative solution-solving savantness, it was just this amazing paradigm that we were all of a sudden together and we wanted this. And he opened up his heart. And really, I think he was at the end of his rope in his life. And it was almost like he got a new lease on life. Cammie followed Don for several weeks, learning his habits and needs and taking inventory of who he was and who she came from. Don made the decision to stop running from the law, stop using, and convince the judge that with his daughter Jenny as his advocate, he could live a better life. It was almost just like everything led up to this profound moment of being able to meet my living biological paternal peace and that moment turned into like every minute that we ended up spending together thereafter became the moments that became the rest of our life and we ended up getting five years of partnership together and ultimately as every stage unfolded really in present moment without too much of like a projection or a you know an expectation or anything which is part of I think why it worked so well for us that every we were just both present and loving it every minute that when he was released from jail on October 5th 2016 I was there to pick him up at like seven in the morning and he was really never out of my like the parameters of being close to me for the rest of the five years we got together and in that time it was extremely profound and transformative. I mean, in the beginning, I was his advocate, helping him get out of the system for the first time ever. Discovering that he was a musician and that I was a musician was a huge foundational piece for us because we partnered together ultimately playing music, volunteering for those experiencing homelessness, meeting so many people like yourself in the adoption constellation world, having opportunities to perform and speak at Cub, Concerned United Birth Parents. Uh, they had a retreat we performed at. Celia Center with Jeanette Yoff, we performed at a couple of her events and her support groups for the adoption constellation. We also spoke at Hope of the Valley and became key speaker performers for a lot of their clients that ultimately became residents in their tiny homes that they eventually pioneered later on. But in the beginning, it was me shadowing Don, putting him in positions of, of, of you know, to become a volunteer and, and partnering with him in that way and sort of stepping out and letting him have the limelight as a speaker. And he developed from this self-identified vagrant into this like self-esteemed volunteer and the transformation was amazing and and the, and the and the impact of who we were able to connect with and reach over really I think the first three years because COVID the pandemic as everyone experienced it really sort of slowed things down it gave us a chance to kind of just live our lives as as people and 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 I really think that the COVID part that the pandemic was a huge pivot 
because we had such a time at home together because by then he had stopped using completely and I had created these parameters and he let me lead and help him and guide. It became this turning point where he then shifted into a more, it was almost like he had this coming of age transition during the first three years of me leading and guiding him and, and being sort of like the guide role. And then all of a sudden when the pa pandemic hit and we had a lot of downtime at home, by then I had adopted him completely into my, I would say, into my care. And I was this caregiving partner with him, helping make sure that there was a safe space, Dawn's place, and in, in, in as many situations as we could create. Plus, we're volunteering and performing now and all these different things. Now the pandemic hits and everything's paused. It gave Dawn a chance to kind of, I think, have a perspective of what we did together. A documentary film crew interviewed and filmed Jenny and Dawn for the short film called Homeless, the soundtrack, which flew through the independent film festival circuit in 2018. Back when Don was in prison, his nickname was Manhattan Don because he always had big dreams of going to New York. But he could never make his dream come true because he was always in trouble. The documentary about Jenny and Don's story changed that when the pair were flown to the Tribeca Film Festival to perform their music together. Another time, they performed at a sleepout to end homelessness at the Rose Bowl in California. Amazing things were happening. Then, the pandemic forced everyone into quarantine. We have this time to pause, and all of a sudden, the last real year and a half of our adventures, I saw Don transform now to almost like a sage, and he became concerned with my well-being and my future and, and passing the baton and wanting to kind of advocate for my, you know, my future. And it was amazing, and, you know, for any listener who's tuning in, Unfortunately, we don't live forever. And Don lived a hard life. And the lease on life that he had for the three really amazing years we, we were able to really like go out in the field and do things together. And then the remaining two we had to just kind of live and love and just sort of bask in what had happened. You know, Don's liver gave out because of the life that he lived. And here I was aware it was going to happen. He was aware and we were trying to do more and his health began to decline. And by this time I had moved us into a house and he had his own room for the first time in his life and a whole yard to have, which was really amazing. You know, that we were so lucky with the timing to have this like regression here of this pause in the pandemic and, and his liver just started to fail and, and he died. He died about eight months ago. And so now, you know, we're kind of in the aftermath. And I was kind of, you know, playing around with the words when I was emailing back and forth. Damon here, like I, you know, I said, oh, this will probably be like the, the adoptee's aftermath of when you have a profound reunion, or maybe we don't have it profound. But when you find who you are really, and you have a chance to learn where you come from and, and even maybe meet your birth parents or parents or siblings or whomever where you genetically come from and then they pass away and they die. Or maybe they've died before you really had a chance to meet them, but you get to learn sort of a piece. But really when you meet them, if it works out and then they die, it, there is an entire conversational piece that I think would be really helpful to talk about because it is a loss. And grief is very all-encompassing. And there's already grief that, you know, adoptees or those in the adoption constellation will talk about birth parents who relinquished their children either because they had to or they wanted to or it just didn't work out. You know, you have the adoptee who has grief from trying to find their self-identity and explore who am I really and is it really or who am I also, you know? And then you have the possibility of reunion in terms of meeting somebody and will that even work out? There may be the grief of it not working out. There may be some grief of it working out. And then finally, you may have the piece where we're going to talk about today, which is losing somebody because they pass away. And what does that mean? And, and have we lost them or are we giving them back to where we go? 
or how, wh whatever anybody believes and how they want to frame it, there's a lot to unpack there. But then now here we are today, eight months after he passed away, and, you know, it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment. Yeah. Can you and what so tell me a little, a little bit about that? Because for the listener, I don't know if they actually realize what it means to have the safe, safe space that is Don's place. Because what you told me the first time we talked was that you created a place where you were guiding him, but he was there by his choice. And he was living with you. And so you've now gone from what it sounded like was relatively independent living on your own to bringing your own father in off the street by his choice. And you guys are both roommates. You are musical partners. It sounded like you guys were together almost all the time. Tell me about, tell me about how this transition is going for you. Like what it was like to have him there all the time with you and how you're doing now in the aftermath of that. Well, I think to back up a little bit, answer some of the earlier questions to frame it. Well, Don was a creative survivor. He was a person who started from very little and had the combination of street smarts and savant sentiments to survive in this world. So every approach that he had as an individual, as independent as he was throughout his life, was very unique and not necessarily recognized in society as something that we would really feel would be familiar. He always had some sense of institutionalization because he was in and out of prisons and jails and group homes and sometimes put in like, you know, mental facilities or addiction facilities to kind of figure out how to change the trajectory of what was happening, which never really worked. So that was Dawn. And then my parallel universe was that I was adopted into a very stable family that was not artistic, but they were very intellectual. And the nurture piece granted me all these opportunities to develop myself and my identity into what Don would call me often as society's child. And then when our paths crossed and we met together and, and, and you know, had this intuitive inkling of understanding that we would make great partners and we would do so well together and we wanted that so much, that as that unfolded, my social skills experience, a lot as like a special needs shadow, came into play and I used tactics and tools from what I discovered would work when I was working as a tutor for those who identified as autistic or those who were homeless. I used creative parameters to guide Don and to keep myself safe and to keep Don safe. And that was happening in real time pretty much from the moment we met. And I think that that piece, which is a little hard and abstract to kind of understand that listeners might not really still get it, the, the point is, is that that piece is what made our partnership work and our story so unique. Mm -hmm. Because what I would do essentially was I would take inventory of what Don felt was his identity and how he liked to live and what he knew. Because he didn't ever, he never had frozen yogurt till we met. He never had in and out he didn't know what craft coffee was. He didn't really know much about what we know in terms of like people who are really influential in their lives because of whatever they're given and whatever they're exposed to. And then we have what we understand to be society and what we understand to be common everyday thought or everyday action or everyday behavior. Well, Don had none of that. And so he was up against a whole strange world. And I came from a place where I was always identified as an octagon in like a square world <laughs> or a circular world. <laughs> and I always felt a little different anyway. And I made my own way being creative and different and, and tried to survive myself. So we could see in each other this mirror. So I think there was a, there was a connection there. There was a bond there. There was a, an admiration and similarity there. And then there became a trust relatively quickly. So from the very beginning, I was doing things creatively. And I would call 
them safe space Don's place. For example, Don loved being outside. I wanted to find out why. Why are you homeless? Why are you living outside? Why do you go into the bushes by a casino and put a tent underneath a bush where nobody can see you and then take some wires and wire your batteries as far as you can to the closest gas station up the street so you get electricity? And then you take your food stamps and you trade them in for cash, which you're not really supposed to do. Then he goes into the casino because he's a mathematician and knows probability, figures out how to win as much as he can. If he loses, he leaves. But if he wins, he takes his money, and then he gets food, and then he can get his drugs, and then he can go and hide and get high so he can be happy and start all over again until he gets caught for doing something wrong or being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so that was sort of like the summary of what I discovered. So instead of being scared, instead of being judgmental, I chose to focus on his strengths, his skills, and what was interesting to him. Music was one of them. Chess was another he discovered craft coffee through me and that was like a great buzz, a great high buzz. So we kind of used that to have like a lot of energy together mm-hmm. and I would take him into all these different places. And then eventually I got a, a, a portable fold up chair, a little umbrella, a backpack with, you know, chess books. So I got a chess set that was magnetic. So it wouldn't knock over in the middle of the game and, you know, I had like a little, um, there was a little lunch kit with his coffee, and we kind of negotiated together. What were the things that he wanted to keep most? He loved nicotine, so he could have two cigarillos a day. He, We were okay with medical marijuana as long as I had it, measured it, managed it, because that was helpful for, like, relaxation rather than any mental wellness medication that could make you tired. I just wanted to make sure that it was safe and legal and okay, and by that time it was. And then really when it came to, like, anything else, he didn't do anything else. If it was, If there was any moment to have a libation, of any kind and normally you would think oh if you're an alcoholic or an addict you have to be 100% abstinent or it won't work but for Don we were able to find a parameter and he let me lead that he let me explain to him that if you're going to have a drink it's got to be a certain amount at a certain time and I'll provide it for you so you can still enjoy it but the thing is, is we might get a call to play a gig and if you're wasted or unable to function, we won't be a strong partnership and the music won't happen. And so it was really interesting when I framed it like that. He just chose most always to just follow the lead. And I think it was because he was driven by love to want love, want connection, want the music and was really blown away by the fact that he invented, and we use that term, he invented me. I was an extension of him. And, and sometimes later on, he would say, you're the best thing that I did. You know, and I was so touched. Don spoke often about how grateful he was to Jenny's adoptive parents, Jill and Bill, for adopting and raising her. He felt like they had done a great job nurturing Jenny, and Don recognized it was something he couldn't have done. On the Jenny Alpert YouTube channel, she has posted several videos of the duo, Cammy and Don, and their shared process to get Don cleared from trouble with the law off the streets, and working toward being a volunteer and a speaker using his talents, skills, and experiences. Jenny saw Don shift from being a self-identified vagrant to a self-reliant volunteer who brought impactful speeches and performances to his audiences. Don made appearances before residents and clients of Hope of the Valley, a rescue mission dedicated to reducing and eliminating poverty, hunger, and homelessness. He appeared at the Celia Center, a nonprofit supporting members of the adoption and foster constellations. Cammie and Don, the biological duo, performed at a retreat for Concerned United Birth Parents, or CUB, and so many more organizations extended invitations to the pair to speak and perform. It was really incredible to see this transformation of Don with his confidence once he was able to really be present and experience things in a completely new way but all along the way it was never that what I was providing or offering was better it simply was different Mm -hmm. and that's where the safe space Don's place would come in is that I would create these portable safe space Don's places within this concept of a parameter so that if I were going to the market and he wanted to come then he would just sort of sit there in his little chair with the umbrella and he would sit there and wait for me and yeah we spent we spent every second together. And it wasn't that he like moved in. It wasn't that like he moved in and lived with me because I think that kind of sounds a little more self-reliant than, than the truth. It was that I created a space where Don felt safe enough to come and be with me. 
eventually we went from living downtown LA to the condo to the house that I have now where there's a yard. And we were very lucky because the first three years of our biological reunion journey was incredible. I mean, we really went from, you know, me shadowing him for a year and really taking inventory of all of these steps, getting him security and safety and social services and, you know, kind of this routine going on and taking inventory of everything every day to to see how it was working. And it was working. And there was like a lot of safety parameters there to the second year kind of unfolding and him developing. So then the third year of this, this documentary team stepping in and wanting to make a short doc, Homeless, the soundtrack, about the early years of our biological reunion. And that basically you know, traveling through the festival circuit. And, and all the while that's happening, we're you know, developing our Cami and Dawn, Home is Where the Heart Is, an adoption and biological reunion story performance where we're going around to different organizations and all over to share our story. But the impact started to become overwhelmingly profound. Yeah. And finally, when the pandemic hit, for so many people and everything paused, we found ourselves here where all of a sudden the paradigm shifted and now Don had this real coming of age. I think he just had a lot of time to just sort of sit back and have perspective on what we had done, what happened, what happened for him, you know, and that, that was amazing to, to watch and see so that it was really like a passing of the guard to help me for the rest my life and you know when he passed away I mean nothing can prepare you for the peace of missing someone nothing can prepare you whether you spend every day with them every hour or you have quality time with the best memories or maybe there's in juxtaposition there's a a real traumatic exchange that never gets resolved, which which is harder. I can only imagine would be harder. Dawn and I were so lucky to, to, to see the decline. It was quick, it was rapid, and it was kind of shocking, but we knew we were running out of time. And I recorded a lot of like conversations with him. On my YouTube page, he talks about, he has conversations, he answers questions to me about, you know, what he would say to adoptees who are wondering about their birth family members, or what he would say to biological parents who had to relinquish their children, or what he might say to those experiencing homelessness and choosing drugs. And, you know, he had such unique things. He would say, well, someone's got to raise you, you know, thank them for what they could do, thank them for what they couldn't do, and then, you know, raise yourself and be thankful. You know, he would say with homelessness, like, if you want to choose homelessness, great. I'm not against it. But, you know, think about the rest of the people around you and how you're doing it so you don't affect everyone else. Or with addiction, he would say, if you want to use, you want to use, but you're not a victim to your addiction. You need to choose what you want and actually stick with it. And if it's hard, it's hard. It's going to be hard. And he just had these really profound pieces of thought that I'm so grateful to have captured. And thank you for, you know, letting me share today. Because I think really, honestly, one of the commitments for the rest of my life that I'm here on this planet is to honor what I learned, what I experienced, and to share the profound partnership that I was fortunate enough to have with the birth father. And to share with those who were adopted or those who were relinquished their children or had to or, you know, adoptive parents or social workers and people in the field of adoption you know i am an open book that's amazing i love it i'm glad to hear that too i think that it's super important to have people who are dedicated to the mission and cause of supporting other adoptees and spreading message and and i like hearing that don was so wise you know as things sort of transpired with you guys that you were able to bond and he was able to recognize you know, the value of adoption, the choices he had made that put him in the positions that they did, but also the choices that he made to go forward with you. I wonder if you could tell me yeah. a little bit about making music with Don. I mean, let's let's be real. You have, one, got an incredibly unique adoption reunion story, one. Number two, it's joyous in the fact that you have actually connected and not every adoptee gets that. And then three, you have discovered a connection to a man 
who is shares your musical prowess. I mean, you probably got your musical prowess from him, and now you're in a position of creating together. Like, did you ever just stand on stage and go, oh, my God, this is unreal? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, when I first found Don, I didn't even tell him about my adoption journey and my musical life as an independent singer-songwriter because I just wasn't sure who he was yet. And I did a lot of protective measures first to focus on Don to learn him. So he didn't know that I had traveled into over 14 countries as an independent artist on the radio, having music and filming, releasing eight independent records. He didn't know that, you know, that I had a lot of experience under my belt and that I was, I was decent. I was a decent singer songwriter. (laughs) And, uh, and then, you know, uh, you know, complemented with all of my experience volunteering with social services throughout my youth and, and, and college years, those experiencing homelessness, those in foster care, you know, those on the spectrum, creating programs, all that stuff. None of that was anything he knew. There was just a day when I went to visit him day after day in those first three weeks, getting to know him while he was homeless at the time, where I brought my guitar because I knew that he played guitar. And, you know, it was just like we wanted, I just was thought, well, here, I'll make this a tool. One day I brought children's books and we read. One day I brought craft coffee, you know, in a, in a wagon with, uh, with a car battery after he told me about how he would get electricity with batteries. And I emulated what he knew and created the car battery and like a little hot burner and brought all of my coffee and espresso apparatuses with coffee and espresso beans in these little Ziploc bags plus sugar and creamer. So it looked like a drug bin. And I bonded with him over that, you know. So then when I brought in music, that was just the icing on the cake and probably the strongest connection that we had. And even at that moment when I brought my guitar and let him play it, I barely played it first. And then, you know, and he got to be himself and express himself. And then the journey of opening up the doors and playing piano for him. One of the, the first song I ever wrote on piano is called heaven. And it's about being in foster care and the disassociation that you sort of identify, but you don't know that it's happening as you're trying to find stability and build relationships and love and all these things. But it's a poetic way of sort of expressing that, that maybe a listener might not get at first. I'm sure they wouldn't without like an interview of asking me, but that's what heaven is about. Heaven is a place I'm running from, not heaven, the religious one we talk about, but heaven, that peaceful place that we want to you know feel comfortable and safe and love in but heaven is a place i'm running from because i don't know what's real and i don't know if i can heal and i don't know if i can be good for you those are the lyrics of the chorus and that was the first song i really played for dawn one day in our little i called them um so they were called family fun field trip adventures and we would go on these little tiny adventures the first three weeks while i was kind of like undercover as only cammy there was one afternoon where we were walking by this retirement home in in the Long Beach area where he was mostly homeless then and where I was going in the field kind of undercover to sort of get this reconnaissance of who this person was to sort of navigate where we were going to go from here and there was a piano in the window and I just got this like idea and that was like a moment where I was like I'm going to let him know my musicianship and he cried I mean he just was shocked and that was so fun then i had a gig like a week later at a venue a legitimate like jenny albert singer songwriter that nobody knows i'm not a household name i'm just a crafty person that did the best that i could to get music out there for healing and sharing i'm an entertainer and i love that and i was you know and i was just so excited to always be able to do that and then i get a gig and i'm like hey do you want to sit in and play 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 this music with me and he was like sure we go into my then apartment downtown and he you know uses one like guitar one of my guitar and he just rocks the, the the hooks and he learned on his own at that point I started showing him the records that I made and he learned my music and literally on his own the way he knows how to play music he learned my music and it was so amazing and, and and it was just so and he could play bass and guitar and he would just play and and so then I brought him down to a gig at Genghis Cohen I'll never forget it you know still in the three weeks that we're meeting each other and the house was packed because it happened to be an event where I was one of many songwriters. So, you know, it wasn't like I had this line out the door for people who cared about me. It was just, it was just like this really cool night. Mm-hmm. And then I was invited to come up and perform. And then I just sort of shared, like, this is my birth father, Don. You know, at the moment, he's still homeless. 
and um, whatever, but he's an amazing musician. I'd really like to have him come up and, and be my guest. And he came and performed, and there was not a dry eye in the house. Oh, my God. Like, there, there wasn't. It was like, and, and that was sort of the beginning of the rest of our musical journey together. It wasn't contrived or planned or projected to be. It just, it just was natural and it unfolded. And I, and I think that the music piece was the gel and the foundation and kind of what guided us. But I will also say that my birth mother, who I never met, who was significantly older than Dawn, so there was like a huge dynamic as to how I was conceived and why, and you know, it was right. kind of taboo and there was difficulty with the detail there. But my birth mother, actually I found, I came to find out had gotten accepted to UCLA and never completed her experience there. And the fact that I ended up at UCLA and graduated made me feel like I completed something she never got to. Oh, that's awesome. And she, isn't that wild? And then she was there for design and was actually a, a really great artist, like a painter. But no one ever really got to know that because something happened traumatic in her life just around that time. And it really pushed, you know, the schizophrenic situation. And she was, you know, put in mental hospital because she just no longer was able to be present for the traumatic event that took place. And she never really returned to her talents and years later before I found Dawn and I learned a bit about my birth mother and her story I happened to have a difficult summer and learned how to paint for one summer like I never really painted ever in my life and I still to this day don't identify as a fine artist but there was a summer where I was guided by a painter and I have a whole bunch of paintings now in my house that I look at and I don't even believe that I did them. I almost feel like this genetic DNA memory receptor from my birth mother helped me paint those paintings to complete something that she never did. Whoa. And even the, you know, and in the interior decoration that happened both in the condo and then here, the house, you know, the, those pieces as well, I feel like are an extension of what my birth mother never got to finish. Jenny said she's really into the connections that people have to their genetic families and the traits and gifts we inherit from them. She feels like she's one of the lucky adoptees who never had resentment, is thankful and appreciative for the life she's led with her adoptive parents, and for the knowledge she's gained about her maternal and paternal families. Now, I'm in a new chapter. I mean, we have lives in our life. And now, yeah. it's been about eight months you know, Don passed away. His new lease on life with me expired, and we knew it was coming. He knew kind of the whole time. We had time to talk about it. We had time to say goodbye. We had time to kind of plan, like, hey, if there's a spirit afterlife, send me these signs, and I'll know that you're okay. Like, you know, we did all of that, and I made sure that he wasn't institutionalized in the end of his life, and he was here in my bed, and I was holding his hand and playing Jimi Hendrix and helping him transition to the other side until he passed away. And I'm proud of that. I told Jenny I thought it was really amazing that she made space in her life to grant Don the opportunity to have a new lease on life with her. She said it took a while to build up their partnership. At first, she contemplated having Don live somewhere else. But as she shadowed Don and learned who he was at that stage of his life when they connected, she could feel him getting more energized by her unwavering support for his recovery. Eventually, Jenny decided she was either going to be all or nothing with her birth father, so she granted him space in her life. Thinking about Jenny's creativity as a singer-songwriter and what we've all experienced with songwriters who have taken the joys and pains of their life and turned them into incredible songs, I wondered where Jenny found herself on her creative journey now that Don was gone. That's a wonderful question because I definitely feel like it's so easy for me to focus on Don. <laughs> and it, it, our dynamic was, wasn't even like a codependent thing. In fact, it was really interdependent and partnership related, and I'm really lucky for that. So when he started to get sick and we finally had our, you know, comfortable routine developed over years and we were sort of already doing our thing and he got sick and then he passed away, you know, it left me in this new identity alone and when you lose somebody whether it's a spouse or a friend or a family member a birth father a birth mother a mother a father whoever it is if there's if there's somebody on this planet that you have connected with in such an intimate level where your identity 
is not just yours now, but there's an us and a we and a shared space. It's very important to continue having the identity of yourself because when that us, we dissipates, when a person dies, a piece of your own identity changes. And if you don't have that understanding in, in advance, I mean, in a lot of ways, after watching Dawn pass away and then the last six months of grief up until now, which is like eight months later, I pushed through hard. I made sure, based on what Dawn told me to do, what he wanted me to do, what I knew I had to do for myself, because it would have been easy to just like roll up in a ball and be like, life is over. He's gone. All of our future dreams our, our musicianship, but we were, I had scheduled a 32 day tour around the United States that I had funding for and was planning. Don and I were literally like practically touring on the road when his liver gave out. Mm. We had to come back and, you know, get some hospital tests to realize like it was over. And all of those visions and those dreams, I mean, we were on national TV and we were about to be on it again. And we were about to be in radio shows and we were starting to grow into like pretty big venues. And, and I think that we would have been able to have more of an outreach and more of an impact for those experiencing homelessness. I mean, this was a real special tour. And together he sort of assisted me and I wrote a memoir of our story and his background, you know, and interviewed him a bunch to have all this going on. Plus we had Homeless, the soundtrack, the documentary that was going to come out non-exclusively for people to get a nugget for who we are. So there was a lot of really special, bigger things than us that we could be a part of and share with purpose. And then he's gone. Yeah, that's really true. And it is, and in another way, it's the biggest gift mm -hmm. because for the rest of my life, I will try to continue to be present with purpose and perseverance. They're like the big P's for me. Presence with purpose and perseverance and to be able to help other people who may be in a situation or connected or struggling and continue the purpose that Don and I sort of built together. And, you know, I was a musician, a recording independent touring artist before Don. I was a volunteer in social services and, you know, for different nonprofits before Don. And I, I was a person before dawn. And it's hard to negotiate by myself at night that the five years of profound, incredible love, unconditional love, a sort of a sort of extension of oneself, something that I can't really put into words because I never had that before. I mean, I had other kinds of love. I had other kind of connection, but this was something out of this world. And for that to no longer be tangible. Now it's of a spiritual realm and I have to carry on by myself for however long I have and to take with me the gifts that Don gave me because it would be a shame to stop. It would be a shame to throw it away. Yeah. It would be a shame. And so that's so the answer to your question is I hope from here on out, besides being granted the honor to, you know, share with you today and, and your listeners here. So everybody, you know, really thank you. You know, thank you for tuning in and for sticking it out with my long-winded monologues, you know, with who am I really? Who are we? And I like to sometimes say, like, who am I also? You know? Yeah. Who am I? I like Who that. am I also? Yeah. And it's like, and that's not, not, not to say that who am I really is, is neither here nor there. It's a, it's a great sentiment. It's a good door opener. And then my response would be, you're right. Who am I? Who am I also? Like, what are the, all the components, nature versus nurture, that make us who we are? And what can we do? to better ourselves, but bigger than that, to help contribute to make the world a better, more loving place or a place of understanding. And if I can take the journey and this experience with Dawn, my birth father, my partner, the person who helped in invent me and really shaped me and gave me so much by the end of our five years together, you know, him coming of age and all of a sudden leaving this world, wanting me to continue on and, and, and to be stable. And he said at the very end, he's like, if I could, I want to make a million dollars and pay off your house so that you could have stability. I want you to find a partner and have a family. And he motivated and inspired me. And whatever happens in the next chapter, this chapter of my life, whether I'm speaking to high school students or to no other nonprofits or performing or sharing the documentary or my music or the memoir or, you know, sharing recordings of Don's 
speaking or whatever it is, or being on, you know, podcasts like this, or being in groups or at workshops or helping other people or participating, creating programs, whatever it is, if there are things that I can do to continue creating healing in this world, you know, in, in Dawn's honor and my birth mother's honor and my parents who raised me's honor and everyone in my adoption constellations honor and for myself, then that's what I know that I'm supposed to be doing. I love it. That's a wonderful place for us to end. I'm so thankful to you, Jenny, for coming <laughs> back here. Because, you know, when I heard of Don's passing, I said, oh, boy, this is exactly what I'm always talking about. That when you hear a person's story on the podcast, that is but a moment in time. And these stories, these journeys, these lives continue. And it's important for folks to have an opportunity to come back. And I'm so grateful to you for taking time to do so. I'm sorry for your loss, but I'm amazed at your and Don's love for each other. It was, it's inspiring to hear. I know a lot of adoptees wish that they could experience something remotely close to what you had. And you sound just, I mean, grateful for the life that you've lived. And, and I'm glad, I'm glad for that. And I'm glad that you're inspired to keep going and, and to uplift other people. So thank you so much for being here, Jenny. Well, thank you for having me. And if anybody has any extra questions or want to continue the search of like, you know, connecting with us and our story, because I do say us in real time, you can email me at J-E-N-N-I-A-L-P-E-R-T at gmail.com. So that's JennyAlpert.com if you have questions or you want to share and ask, you know, you know, perspective. And then, you know, I have a website also, which is www.jenniealpert.com and then you can check out Homeless the Soundtrack which is online or some recordings of Don and I performing live or the memoir Home is Where the Heart is an Adoption and Biological Reunion Story it's kind of a quick read mostly with pictures you know and there's just there's a lot to unpack and I guess I'm not trying to self-promote here but I'm just trying to say that if you're on a journey and you're making decisions and trying to figure out how to navigate it for yourself wherever you fall in the adoption constellation and you want just an ear then you know through Damon I can just I'd be happy to answer questions or share or be a part of your experience so thank you for tuning in and thank you for having me and I'm really grateful so that's it <laughs> all right thank you so much Jenny all the best to you okay take care okay thank you you're right bye-bye bye hey it's me Cammy and Don, the biological duo, have an amazing reunion experience with both love and loss. It's the experience of a daughter, invented by a man who couldn't take care of her, raised in adoption by nurturing parents. And it's a story of a woman who rediscovered her birth father and helped him reinvent himself to make an impact on the adoption and fostering, homeless, and substance abuse communities. As reunions go, theirs is pretty incredible. Jenny reminded us that our time here together is short. Many of us hope for more time with our loved ones before their days here with us come to an end. I know I did when I lost my birth mother, Anne. But for those of us who were able to spend precious moments with the people we found, a little time together is better than continuing the lifetime we've already spent apart. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Jenny's story that inspired you validates your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn, who am I, really? If you would like to share your adoption journey and your attempt to connect with your biological family, please visit whoamireallypodcast.com slash share. You can follow the show at facebook.com slash really. If the show is meaningful to you, you can support me with a contribution to keep it going on patreon.com slash really. Please subscribe to Who Am I Really on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean so much to me if you took a moment to leave a five-star rating there. Those ratings can help others to find the podcast too. And you can check out the story of my adoption journey, Who Am I Really, an adoptee memoir on amazon.com I hope you'll add my story to your reading list.